You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down. And just so you know, in the Greek, it says that she will not give me a black eye. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I would like to preach right now for a little while, so we're just going to change things up a little bit. If you just want to sit down, find your seats, whatever the most awkward way to transition there is. We'll tell you about announcements later. Lord, bless those tithes and offerings that Larry Johnson just stole. (laughs) I feel like this is really good soil for this message right now, and so forgive me and just give me a little bit of leeway to kind of work my way through what needs to be said and what doesn't, because I really feel like, oh yeah, and kids, you can stay in the room today. Um, How many raised a toddler in the room? Have you raised a toddler? The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. My my daughter, Sophia, is three, and she did something recently that reminded me of the persistent widow. I went to the bathroom at 3 o'clock in the morning, which is now no longer my own time. I went to the bathroom at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I get back in bed, And Jacqueline, who has bionic hearing for Sophia, says, she's out of bed. I said, no, she's not. Jacqueline's like, she just ran down the hall. (laughs) And we could see, like, under the door in that little space, we see, we could tell the bathroom light turned on. We heard her huff and puff, like she's annoyed about something. Like her life warrants her being annoyed about something. And she goes, ugh, and goes back to bed and shuts the light. What? could she be exasperated about in her life right now? So being curious, I go into her bedroom, and she's pulling the blankets up over her like an adult. And I said, Sophia, did you just get up? And she goes, "Mm mm-hmm. And I said, why? She goes, to go check. I'm not embellishing this story for all of you who think I lie. I only lie 50% of the time when I tell stories, so just bear with me. Said, "Um, what did you go check? The bathroom. Why? She goes, you did it again. You left the toilet seat up. I said, good night, Sophia. Get in bed. She's calling me from bed. Daddy, put it down. Now, let me just say, I don't think this is fair. I think women, when you're done using the bathroom, you should have to put the toilet seat up. That's just my thing. 
Can some, all the men are afraid to clap. It's cool. She wouldn't stop yelling until I went into the bathroom. A grown man caved to a three-year-old, went to the bathroom, bang, slammed it shut and went to bed. And she yells, thank you. <laughs> the persistent widow, my daughter. She was so calm. Like, she was, like, quick to hear and slow to speak. Like, she waited for a while and then leveled me. I'm skipping a few things. For the next five weeks, I want to talk to you about what, in my heart, are the essentials of the Christian faith. I want to talk about devotional life, generosity, witnessing, learning, and how we hold mystery or the tensions of what's unresolved in life, which how many have some unresolved issues in your life, and you would like God to tell you what the mystery is? We need to learn how to hold that. When it comes to devotional life, this has been preached on billions of times, and what I want to talk more about is what should our heart be when we enter devotional time with the Lord? There's a lot of practices. We can talk all about it. But what should our temperament be? What should our state of being be when we enter devotional time with the Lord? The first thing I want to say is that devotional time is an offering to God. So many of us have left our morning routine or our afternoon routine or our evening routine saying, I'm not sure I got much out of that or I'm not sure I understood what I read or it didn't feel fruitful. Has anybody had that experience before where you're trying to spend time with God and it just doesn't feel like it clicked or germinated? I want you to know that it's not really about what we got out of it as much as it's about what God got out of it when we gave ourselves to him. When we gave him our time, he rejoiced over us. That's enough. If God is singing over you and rejoicing over you and being pleased with your presence, if you don't understand what you read or it didn't click, understand God understood what he heard from you and it clicked for him and it germinated for him and it was an offering to him. And so that, I, I want you to go into your devotional time, whatever your routine is, I want you to go into it understanding that the minute you offer him time, You've gotten something out of it because he's singing over you. He's rejoicing over you. He stops what he's doing for you and loves you as a child. This is miraculous. We can't get so advanced that we forget what it means that the father of the universe enjoys 30 minutes when I stop with a cup of coffee and say, thank you. Thank you this morning. Jesus tells a parable right in the middle of him talking about his return. He tells a parable. And he says, this is how you should approach me. There was a widow who was looking for justice. And without deep explanation, the most likely circumstance that would be understood when Jesus said that is a woman who has lost her husband, who now has somebody in the family trying to manipulate her out of whatever property he left. So she says, I need justice against my adversary. Likely, there could be a lot of reasons, but likely she's losing property. And widows in this time, right, wrong, or indifferent, widows were treated worse than even orphans. This was, this was all she had. She's going to this unrighteous judge, and he is not her best option in a long list of decent options. Unfortunately, this unrighteous judge who doesn't fear God or man is her only hope to get justice. And Jesus is telling us 
this is how you approach the Father. My guilt, my sin is that I approach devotional time like I'm giving God a high five, like a up top, and he's a good friend of mine. I don't go to him like he's the only option I have that day. I don't go to him with the desperation that this woman went to him with. And Jesus is saying, when you come to the Father, go to him like a widow who's losing the last thing that she has. Go to him that way. I'm guilty of spending more time setting up my devotional time than I am actually having it. The coffee, it's got, I got to heat my creamer up first before I put the coffee in it because nothing bothers me more than when coffee cools down and I have to have a nice thick mug and it's got to be over here on my desk and I got to have a candle lit. And I, By the time I set all this up, God is like, I'm so sick of you. I don't even, don't even pray anymore. I'm done. I'm done. This was annoying. I forget what I wanted to tell you today. Let's just move on. Have fun at work. We have to go. If you wake up scatterbrained, you run to him scatterbrained. If you wake up late, run to him in a rush. If you wake up feeling like this is going to be a good morning, then go to him feeling like this is going to be a good morning. But don't not go to him. It's your only option. It's not the last resort. It's the only resort. God is not the best option in a list of good options. He's the only option that creates other options anyway. We don't have choices if it's not for him. He's not the best among good things. He's the only good thing. We go to him like a widow would go to a judge who's about to lose the last thing that she has. Like Sophia, just don't stop. Keep going to him until you get justice. And I want to point this out. It's justice she's going for. We can go to God for a lot of things that aren't justice, but the thing we have to give him first before any other request is we have an adversary. Do I have three Pentecostal people in the room who understand that we have an adversary who's constantly trying to steal your last bit of real estate all of the time? All of the time. And we need to go to God and say, don't let him take the real estate that I have with you. Don't let him take it. It's constantly under attack. And we need to run to him. And here's the thing. We give our real estate over to everything else. We say, people have told me in my office, I don't have time for devotionals. Let me check your Google history then. Let me look at your app history. Let's scroll through Facebook and see how, you know what I'm saying? We have time. We just dish out real estate like we have it for free. And then we're like, I have no space. There's no room in me to handle adversity. Where'd it go? You're losing real estate. Your bandwidth is shrinking. We, we, we met, I can't remember if it was the singles ministry or the men's ministry yesterday. I've been here Friday night, yesterday morning, today. Somewhere along the line, I talked about how quickly we lose our temper. And not many people in the room said they lost their temper violently, like somebody in the church, maybe. But if you withdraw, if you throw your hands up, if you walk, I can't handle this anymore, I'm done. You're losing your temperament. A godly temperament is a temperament that can stand in a boat in a storm and say, I'm going to wait until I see Jesus on the waves. So whether you're putting your fist through sheetrock or walking away saying, I can't do this anymore, you've lost your temperament. How do we increase the bandwidth of our temperament? We go to God desperate. 
We don't go to him for a high five. We don't go to him for some sugar in the morning. We don't go to him for a cup of coffee. We go to him for our life every day. There's that story in Jeremiah where the king, uh, the, the pagan king was hearing the Torah read. And it said that every time he heard a paragraph read, he cut it into little pieces and put it in a fire. And every time I read that, I think this is how we've been taught to read our Bible in America, to try to cut it into little pieces and warm ourselves. Just get it small enough so that I can understand something, so that I can have something, so that I can taste something, and just let it warm me for the day. I just, I want my encouraging word. I want to be convicted. I'm not good enough to just want an encouraging word. As your pastor, I'm telling you this now. I haven't gotten to the place in my life where I could only want an encouraging word. I need God to shift real estate in my life. I need God to talk to me about the deepest parts of who I am. I need God to let me know that his love goes lower than my sin. And as much as I know that here, I need to feel that every day of my life. I need to know. I need to feel it. And God is desiring to pour that out on us every day. And whenever we let other things disrupt that time, those things become the things that we're running to for justice. Let it be him. Hear the Spirit cry out, Abba, Father, in you, and cry out with the Spirit. Because the first way we approach God in our devotional time is as the widow. But we're also called to be the judge in the story. I have to approach God by myself. But another way that I approach God is by seeing Dan, is by seeing you, is by engaging in conversation. See, devotional time, we've made it private time. That's part of it. But we shouldn't be having the private time to get ready for the public time. We should be having the private time because we need that Sabbath because we've been public. Jesus always withdrew by himself, but every time he does, if you read, there was always something major that happened just before it. He was engaged in something big and then went and got time for himself. Getting time to yourself is not the starting place. Getting time to yourself is the result of having a ton of time with others. So we, we approach God as the widow one-on-one by herself in that private time, but we also have to realize for some people, we're the judge that has the justice to give to people who can't help themselves. If we think that the most devoted we can be is by ourselves, we don't understand the Trinity. We don't understand what it means to be part of the baptized people of God. Whenever you encounter somebody who can't help themselves, and here's what I love about saying that. When I say that, we can't help but hear like the romanticized, you know, the poor, the widow, the fatherless. It's all of those people. But how many of you have gotten mad at somebody at work and said in one way or another, that person cannot help themselves? They're helpless. Have you met a helpless person in your life whose helplessness invades your life, infringes on your life, is invasive to your life, and they're always needing help and they don't have anything to ever give anybody? I have never met somebody like that before. I'm wondering if you all have met somebody like this before. Every time we critique another person as helpless, they become the widow that we need to give justice to. 
every time we declare that so this, you know, Dan is so selfish, he can't help himself, all he does is take, he absolutely is helpless, and God is saying, good, then he's the least of these. He's how you meet me. Never going to criticize anybody ever again, as long as I live, if that's the case. I'm going to keep it to myself. We're the widow, but we're also the judge. You have justice to give people. And let me say this to you. If you're here and you feel like you have no justice to give, the more helpless we are, the more we have to give. Because when you have nothing and you offer yourself, you've offered everything. If all you have, let me put it this way, is two copper coins of energy, and you offer those two copper coins, Jesus says, they gave out of their poverty. They've given everything. So here's what I want to say. When we're going through the worst times, our devotional time tends to be the most indulgent. And we miss it because we think it's pious. I'm going through a tough time, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to talk to just everybody about it. I'm going to rein myself in, and I'm going to devotionalize with the Lord. And all of a sudden, days turn into weeks, turn into months, turn into years, and all you ever talk to God about is just you. And we feel like it's good because I'm praying. I can't possibly be wrong praying, right? But when it's just about me all of the time, it changes. What happens if when I'm going through my worst... I write down five other people that I know are going through something, and I take my devotional time, and I give it for them. And I say, Lord, you know what I have need of before I ask. I'm going to pray for them today. I want to help somebody today. I want to offer myself to somebody today. I want to give justice in the midst of my injustice. I want to give justice to somebody today. I want to be the persistent judge who won't stop until somebody lets me give them justice. What about all your stuff? He's got that. He knows what we have need of before we ask. How many know that verse? How many are confused by that verse sometimes? He knows what we have need of before we ask, so then what does he tell us to do? Like, God, you could be a little bit more clear sometimes, I think. You've had all eternity to write this book. You could have been a little bit more clear. Or how about this paradox? Jesus says, be persistent. Because this judge is ungodly. Be persistent. And an ungodly judge will eventually be worn down. So be persistent. But know this. I'm not an ungodly judge, so I don't need you to be persistent. But be persistent. What do we do with that? Is God unrighteous? Does he delay long, as Jesus says? No. No. So if you have know what I have need of before I ask, and you don't need me to be persistent because you answer right away, why are you telling me to be persistent? I'm asking you guys. I have no idea. I was hoping at that point you could, I just have a line, and that's it. Think about this. This is what he's saying. David, I know what you have need of before you ask. But ask me. Why? Because there's something greater than our need. He's leveling the playing field and said, you don't, don't come to me because need. I know what you have need of. Come to me because I love when you come to me. Come to me because I love when we talk. I'm not a transaction. 
I'm not at a cash register. This is not give me your need and I'll give you an answer and here's your receipt. This is I know what you have need of before you ask. Come to me and ask anyway. Why? Because I'm the kind of father who just loves when his kids come. And I know that you leave better even if that need is not met. The real need you have is to commune with me anyway. That's really your need. Your need is not financial. Your need is not health. Your need is me. I know all that stuff that you have need of, but come ask me anyway, because when you're with me, different things happen. Other things happen. Holy things happen. So we don't have to make our whole devotional life about need. It's about the thanksgiving. It's about the prayer that I still just get to come to you. And if you know yourself enough, you know how amazing is this, that I'm still invited to come to him. Like, Jacqueline tells me to leave her alone all the time, and she's right every one of the times. I'm so glad God is like, yeah, come, you can come here to me. I... Why do we have to be persistent if he answers right away? He says in the text, he doesn't delay long. This is not a trick question. How many have been praying for something for more than five years? Ten years? Fifteen years? God, can we please sit down and have a conversation about what the word long means to you? He says, behold, I'm coming quickly. Can we talk about quickly? You said that 2,000 years ago. Everyone who's ever predicted that you're coming back has been wrong. Everyone has always been wrong. They're 0 for 2,000. Not a good batting average. That's like the only, that's just a slightly better batting average than the Yankees have. Interrupt my sermon again, like you did last week. <laughs> Interrupt it again. How, anybody stay up? Anybody to stay up to watch my man Altuve walk off the Yankees? Somebody said to me today, at least we had a chance. Your Mets didn't have a chance. This isn't T-ball. You either win the World Series or you had a failed season. That's it. We're all in the same place. Anyway, I digress. I digress. He says, I'm coming quickly. He says, I'll answer you speedily. And our devotional lives get tired and fatigued because we don't understand what this means. And here's what it says at the beginning of the text. It says, he told them this parable so that they would not lose heart but pray without ceasing. So here's what God is telling us. God is saying, I know you don't understand what it means when I say I don't delay. So I'm going to tell you a parable so that you don't lose heart. What is the goal of the parable that you keep praying for the rest of your life and you don't lose heart? The goal of the parable is that you don't stop. The goal of the parable is that you don't become such a seasoned Christian that you get bored praying. The goal of the parable is that you don't get too tired of not hearing from him because here's the reality. He will answer you and he always will answer you the day you prayed. But you're not saying that's right for the reasons that I'm saying. See, I, I want to explain something that's a little bit deep, and I'm super glad Corey is here because Corey Dandridge is in the house, and he and I have had this conversation before, and I'm so excited that at least one person might be excited about what I'm saying right now, so this is pretty cool. Put up the slide of what happens when Jesus comes back, Ian, the, the time the timeline one. Ian is so freaked out whenever I change the script. Show us the first way, Ian, when we think God is going to come back. He come, we think he's going to come back in our future. You've heard me say this before, but I'm going to keep saying it because it's fun, and I like to hear myself talk, so I'm going to keep saying it. This is not what happens when Jesus comes back. He doesn't come back to our future. 
And you're saying, what does this have to do with devotional life? It has everything to do with it. And as Christians, we have a religion of hope. And if we really forget about hope, we realize that hope means there's always something that I don't have yet. So we have to talk about what it means to be people of hope. And if we get afraid about end times conversations, we will be missing the crux of what it means to have hope. And then we'll be missing the crux of what it means to be Christian. Okay? (laughs) He's not coming back in our future. Abraham is no farther from the return of Jesus than we are. Why? What does God say his name is in the book of Revelation? He says, I am Alpha and how many know every time he says I am, he's telling you his name. He's saying my name is beginning and end. But when he says I am, that's present. I am right now. Right now I am beginning and I'm end. Right now, I am beginning, and I'm end. So when he comes back, when Alpha and Omega comes back, it'll look not like that. It'll look a little bit different. When he comes back, he will come back to past, present, and future at the exact same time. Because he doesn't come back in time, he comes back to time. That's why Jesus said the sun doesn't know the day or hour because day or hour is not how you describe when I'm coming back. I don't come back in days or hour. I come back two days and hours. So when you say, when will you come back? I can't answer that question. I come back two times. I don't come back in. But what does this mean about devotionals? Who cares, Pastor Bill? Here's what it means. Have you prayed about something a year ago? He's going to come back to the moment you prayed about it and answer it. Have you prayed about something 10 years ago? He's going to come back to the moment you prayed about it, and he's going to bring you justice for what you prayed about. Even if you prayed amiss, he will bring justice to everything you've ever prayed about. Whatever justice is, he's going to bring that to the moment you prayed about it. So if Jesus came back right now, I'm standing here on October 20th. If he came back right now and my brain thought of what I did yesterday. Yesterday I watched the Yankees lose. When I think back to watching the Yankees lose and Jesus came back, I will realize he was there watching it with me. He returned yesterday. And when I think back to when I was five and I was scared of the dark in my room, I'll realize he returned gosh, please hear what I'm saying to you. He will return to every moment you've ever prayed. And when that happens, you won't even have a paradigm for delay anymore because you'll realize he's always been returned. He never even waited a second to give you justice. There was always justice all of the time. So this is why he says, I want to find faith on earth because if you don't pray today, he's going to come back to today, even if today turns into yesterday. He's going to come back and he's going to say, were you praying? Because I'm going to answer every one of those prayers. And I'll never know that time ever even elapsed. This is the hope that we carry. And we don't talk about it enough because it's a bit intellectual and it's a bit cumbersome and it's a bit mysterious. But this is how we have hope. My past is as open to the movement of God as my future is. My past is no longer open to my movement. I can only remember it. 
but my past is as open to the move of God as my future is. Has anybody received an injustice in the past before? You've moved on from it. He's still presently standing in it. He's not done with the moment you've moved on from. He's going to bring justice to it. So right now, it feels like we have to be persistent. He feels like an unrighteous judge right now. But when he acts on all of time at the same time, we'll realize he never waited a second. There was no time lapse between, Lord, I need you to, and his answer. It will all be answered, and it will all be justice. Even if the prayer was off, it will be justice. That's what we're walking around with. Who wouldn't want to pray today, knowing that even if today turns into yesterday, even if today turns into 10 years ago, even if today turns into 50 years ago, he is going to answer the prayer from today. And he's going to answer it exactly right. Somebody texted me this morning, can I make my relationship with God an idol? This is a really good question for 7.30 in the morning on a Sunday. My response is no, but you can make your expectations of God an idol. Your relationship with him will never be. What you expect of him can be. Expect this. I has not seen, nor has ear heard, You can't expect the way he's going to answer the prayers, but I promise you this, he's going to answer all of them in real time, even if that time is gone for you. Prayed for a child to get saved, and in your time and space, hasn't happened yet, he might get that child saved 10 years ago. You prayed that God would keep somebody safe, and it seems like he hasn't kept them safe, he might end up keeping them safe 15 years ago. That's confusing. That's our hope. Our hope is that he's not done with what I'm done with. And every time I go to him as the persistent widow, I feel like I need to be persistent because right now I'm in that lag time, but when justice comes, it's going to come for all time and all places, and I don't want to have him find me sleeping and not praying because he's going to answer every one of the prayers we pray. So if you've been at it for a long time or you're brand new and you don't really know how to pray, say that to him. Some of the best prayers I tell people to pray is, God, I don't know how to pray. It's a wonderful prayer. God, I'm tired of praying. That's a wonderful prayer. God, I'm, I'm actually so bored with this that I don't even want to talk to you about it anymore. That's a wonderful prayer to pray. Don't beat yourself down about how you're feeling. Just turn how you're feeling into prayer. He'll answer it. Even if today turns into yesterday, he's going to answer it. Why? Because he's Alpha and Omega right now. And I want to read this text to you. Devotional time starts at the table of the Lord. Why? Because in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, here's what Paul says. He says, in this meal... We proclaim now his death past until he returns future. You see that? We proclaim his death today. We proclaim today his death yesterday until he returns tomorrow. This meal grabs 
all of time and turns it all into present devotion. It turns what's already been done into open possibility. It turns what's being done into open possibility. It turns what will be done into open possibility. The reality with God is that God is possible. And everything he touches is still possible, even your past. Who wouldn't want to pray? So here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to stand to our feet. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And before we come to the table... Stephanie, you are on the spot. You're going to come up with a song right now because you're good and amazing and I love you. I want you to take this song before we come to the table. If you're discouraged in prayer, I want you to take that to him while we sing and while we worship. If you've become on autopilot and you're a little disinterested, I want you to take that into prayer before we come to the table. If you're disheartened and disappointed and so broken, and so I can't believe this is happening in my life. I prayed, I did everything. It's just falling apart around me. I want you to bring that to him. I want you to come to the table having brought everything you're going through to him in prayer. And I want us to do that together. Because this is where our devotional time begins. And this is where it ends. This Sunday morning worship is the alpha and the omega of our devotional time. Everything we do in between shoots from this and heads back to this. This is where it starts for us. Together, broken people under grace and mercy, amen? Realizing that we can't even imagine. See, I try to say things that are so unimaginable because the more unimaginable things we can come up with, the more the verse means that says you can't imagine what I'm going to do. So let's go crazy and try to imagine the most insane stuff so that what he does will be more unimaginable than that. Pray this morning. Enter in right now for a little while. Bring him your sadness. Bring him your disappointment. Bring him your autopilot. Bring him your boredom. Bring him your frustration. Bring him your joy. And if your prayer life is on right now, then pray for everybody I just mentioned, including me, please. Pray. Let's take a song to just pray, and then I'll come up and bring us to the table. So let's take this song and pray, and then I'll come up and bring us to the table. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.